Welcome to the workshop, Anorexic, Bulimic, Finding the Balance. My name is Lynn. I'm a compulsive overeater and the moderator for the session. Hi, Lynn. Hi. Help us preserve the cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, and ask it basket questions. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers. Please specify whom your question is for. The reading is from For Today, page 339. We are, um, can't read it. Healed? Yes, we are healed of suffering only for experiencing it to the full. When I'm hurting, I look for distraction. Go here, run there, and keep on running until there is nowhere to go. Whatever I use as an escape, whether it's hyperactivity or retreat into isolation and compulsive overeating, it takes what it takes to be brought to my knees, to experience whatever it is I'm avoiding, to turn my will over to my higher power and in an instant be free. I walk away feeling light and joyful, and I wonder why I fought so hard. Will I do the same thing next time? Possibly. But each experience confirms what I have learned. My pain may last a minute, an hour, a week, or a month. But allowing myself to feel it is relief in itself and the beginning of freedom. For today, avoidance of suffering is natural, but as a compulsive overeater, I am alert to my tendency to try to escape what most people accept as part of living. Our first speaker is Pam from Hermosa Beach, who will speak for 25 minutes. Do I need to have that little thing in the jig or it's here? Yes. All right. Hi, I'm Pam, bulimic compulsive overeater. Hi. Hi. I have to bust myself first off. It's making me get less nervous, and that is I'm so nervous that this thing is going to be taping me for the next 25 minutes, and if I would have known, I would have somehow weaseled myself out of this thing. So, um, and just for that, uh, busting myself is huge recovery for me because I had the huge amount of fear, 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 um, low self-esteem, but I'm going to act like I'm all self-esteem. And when I just bust myself, it's just part of my sixth and seventh step of being him. So that's it. Um, I guess I'm supposed to, to share my experience, strength, and hope. I'll do the two-minute version and then I guess the 20-minute version, which probably will go to 25 minutes. Um, I've been bulimic, or I started bulimia around 15. I'm now 33. I say 15, so I know I wasn't driving yet. I don't really know. It was like a big kind of fog. And it's like, how could you not know? I mean, it's something that's so physically present. You know, you're, I, I vomited. You know if you vomit or not, but that's how my, my life was. It just was a big fog. And um, I currently, I've been in program for over seven years, and I currently have two years and four months of abstinence. And my abstinence is defined as no matter what, no vomiting or other forms of bulimia, meaning over-exercising, laxatives, or what have you. I, my issue was on vomiting. I didn't have um, a history of laxatives. Um, I did tend to over-exercise, but that, um, when I went into program, that, that just um, was relieved. But vomiting was my thing. So with that in mind, I'm grateful for my abstinence. I never, ever, ever thought I could get more than two days. I couldn't. I could not get a day. And it blows my mind away that I have two years and four months, and I'm scared to death that tomorrow's going to come back. That's the fear in me keeps me in this program because I know how bad it can get. I don't trust myself around food. I have to 
this is my thing. I, I have, I know I'm not cured, and so by that fear of that my that my disease is going to come back, it keeps me in this program, which I think in, in itself is a blessing. So, what was it like? Um, my experience, strength, and hope, and with the focus on, um, what was the focus on? Keeping the balance. Well, my life was unbalanced, and that's what drove me to this program. Very, very, very unbalanced. Um, it was the all and none thinking, things that we always read about in programs, the black and white, the overachiever, the um, try to do everything, and wore myself, um, but spread myself then. I just tried to do everything, and so basically what drove me to this program was I'm powerless over food and my life is unmanageable. Now, when I came into the program, I didn't necessarily understand what that means, but it just, I was just desperate. And um, what drove me to, to believe me, I, I don't know. It's just, I don't think I was always a compulsive overeater, but I definitely loved sweets. It was just, it's like a kid. I just liked candy. Candy was my favorite food, but it's, I don't remember being um, always consumed with food or not socializing and being a kid. But there was some point that when I was starting to mature, quote, mature, I had this fear of getting fat. It was just a fear. I've never been, I haven't fluctuated my weight ever. This has been my experience, but I have this disease to a T. And it was really scary, the idea that, oh, my gosh, people at 15 or so, you start to, you're eating more, you're developing, you're going through, about to menstruate and all that stuff. I was just so definitely scared that I was not going to be, um, I was going to get fat, and then I wasn't going to be liked. And that's the core of my disease is that I'm just not enough, and I have to just perform and do well or whatever it is so you like me. And is that um, not enough, I'm, not, I'm asking for outside validation. I didn't know this at the time. It was just a matter of I just um, had this huge fear, but the same sense um, I just couldn't do enough and food was a distraction for me. And so I, I started resorting to food. And I didn't – I always heard in these programs that people would um, stuff their feelings and all that. I felt I'm oversensitive. There's no way. I, I mean, I was not stuffing my food over feelings. What I was doing was using food as a distraction. It was – I would – if I was studying so much because I had to get the A, I had food right next to me. If it was um, just feeling like overwhelmed on anything, which I always feel overwhelmed on everything, food was just an easy distraction, and it was a comforter. It was, if I'm in the food, I really don't think about anything else. And so that was my life. And when I first started the act of it, I probably had some control in it. But like the like the program teaches us it was a progressive disease. And I kept thinking, well, once I'm done with, um, once I'm done with high school, once I'm done with um, all the activities I was involved in, whether it was cheerleading, it was all this stuff, it just added stress. I knew I was a stress eater. I just could control my stress and I would stop eating or stop overeating or binging and purging or whatever it was. And so I, I started 15, I kept doing it through high school. I'm like, okay, once I get out of the house, then I'll have control over what I get to eat and um, what I'm not going to eat and have more, more um, be able to get my arms wrapped around it. Well, then I was in the dorms, and that just got crazy and progressively worse. And then I'm like, okay, once I get out of the dorms, once I get rid of that meal plan, because I went from the 19-meal plan to the 10-meal plan, just trying somehow, someone just stopped offering me the food because if you stop offering it then I would stop eating it no one's offering it to me I'm sneaking out hiding it I'm driving I'm getting it and um, so once I get done with it well then I moved out I um, got out of the dorms and it just got progressively worse 
And the reality is that I kept thinking, if I could do this, then I would be okay. If I just got, even if I just got that boyfriend, then I had a babysitter who I'm around boys, I don't eat, blah. The, um, what, what came about is I went through, I finished college, and I said, okay, now I'm ready. Then I started grad school. Once I finished graduate school, I'm going to start. When I finished graduate school, I still was, it was progressively worse. And I kept, I tried every avenue, like we, like they say, to control. Well, I'm going to, it's like the big book talks about of how they try to control their drinking. I try to control it. I'm only going to eat when I'm sitting down. I'm only going to eat three meals and nothing in between. I'm only going to eat protein in the morning. I'm only going to, blah. If I could just fix it, then I would stop this, this need to overeat. Because if I eat moderate meals, I don't overeat. It's when I feel like I'm a little bit eating too much and I huge, eat huge amounts of volume and purge. So the reality is I got finished with grad school, got a job. I'm like, perfect. I'm going to have people around. I'm not going to be in an office. And I can't binge and purge. If there's a will, there's a way, and there was definitely a will. And the reality is I'm like, oh, my God. All of a sudden, I've tried all these different meal plans. I wasn't on a diet. I was just trying to fix my food. All these different ways to control just to feel safe around food and thinking that if people were around, I don't eat. I'm a sneak. If people are around, I, 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 can, I can do it. You can't have a babysitter all the time. And the reality is that I had to see that how powerful I was because it doesn't matter about the outside stuff. If there's a will, there's a way, and I found a way every time. And it was so frustrating that every morning waking up in the resolutions, I'm not going to do this. Today I'm going to do this. And the guilt and the shame associated with it, and no one knew. Not, I mean, I'm such a good actress that I can play the part. And behind closed doors, I was just sick as sick. And... Um, I had this job, a great job. I was done with graduate school. I lived where I, where I wanted to in Southern California by the beach. And then I was binging and purging. I'm like, what the heck's going on? And then I moved. Um, well, I was near the corporate office, and I moved to, by the beach. Perfect. There's um, no one around. Not my, my girlfriends were about an hour away. I didn't know anyone, and everyone at work was an hour away. I can go to this program that's anonymous, and that no one ever would know. And... My dad was in GA, so I knew about the 12-step programs, but my idea was Overeaters Anonymous, they just overeat. I'm overeat, but I, I binge and purge. I thought this was something that was so disgraceful for me that I just I wouldn't be able to tell a soul. And will you tell me when time I don't know. What time did I start? I started about 25 Okay. Um, and so I, it was just the one attraction was that this is an anonymous program. That if I came in the room, you were not allowed to tell anybody that Pam Alderman was, oh, she say my Pam was in these rooms. And that was, that was just my pride, but that was an, the piece that attracted me to the program. And I came, and um, that was about seven years ago. Again, I don't even know. I have no idea. I just know that all of a sudden I ended up in a room, and I hated my first meeting. I'm like, oh, this was not for me. Uh, there's another way. And, and someone came up to me and said, try seven meetings before you make a judgment. And I'm like, seven? God. And the next meeting I went to was the, day, the next day, and it's my home meeting since. And it was unbelievable. It was um, one of these things that the first time I said out loud that, I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm bulimic. Wait, I have, to, I have to regress about three months before. What happened is I was raised in a religion that um, it was just outside God, this judgmental God, and I felt, and I, and I truly, I still practice my religion, but I had, I had no spirituality. But I, I avoided going to confession about this thing. I'm like, no way, no way. And I remember outside in church when I got to go to confession, I was just going to die and go to straight to hell with this huge 
horrible thing that I, it was my own judgment, but it's a huge, horrible thing. And all this priest said, you know what? You have no penance. I thought, I mean, I thought I was going to have months of penance. You have no penance. You've suffered enough. Will you just go get help? I'm like, oh, my God. And I cried. I, first time I told somebody, like, have you told him? I'm like, no way, no way. And the more and more I say, I'm Pam, I'm a compulsive reader, I'm a bulimic, it just crushes my ego every time. And that's the saving grace is that it started me to say, you know what? I, I binge and purge, and, and it wasn't a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal, but it wasn't a big deal when I was in the, in the rooms. And so that started my progression of, of working, the, working the program. Now, I wish my story was that I picked up the tools and the steps and I skipped down the Yelvick Road to recovery. Um, you know, I always think, and that's my judgmental mind, like, oh, she's got a better, she's been here just as long as I have, she has more options than I do, blah, blah, blah. And um, my experience hopefully will provide um, hope for somebody else. And that's all I can do. I'm a tool to share my experience and hope, and hopefully that my recovery, at least to date, provides um, hope for someone else because it was not my experience that I came in and I got recovery right away. But I did keep coming back. I had nowhere else to go. And people say, it's the last um, house in the block, all this other stuff. I truly had tried everything. I couldn't, could not do it. And um, I would get, I got immediate, like the honeymoon abstinence of going to one meeting a week, and I was just able to, to, you know, keep the food down, this and that, and the nine months went to six months, and then the three months, and then one month, and I went right back until I couldn't get a day in program, and how horrible it was that I had crumbs on my face when I came into a meeting, and I'd go out, and I, I had to say, I'm going to go purge. I just couldn't do it, and... Um, and it was having to hit a bottom in program that got me to recovery because there were people who had recovery, and I know I could do it if they could do it. And what happened is my willingness um, was actually I was granted willingness because I, I'm just not a willing person. And I became more willing to go to more meetings. And then to gradually, once I started picking up the tools, I, I mean, I pick them up very, very, very slowly. <laughs> and the more I picked up, the stronger my program got. And it talks about in the big book, we want to ease yourself to weigh, and I do. I want that ease yourself to weigh because I'm an addict, and I want, I want what I want when I want it. And it just has not been my experience. So basically what happened is I started picking up the tools, I got a sponsor, and I didn't get recovery. It was just a matter of I, had, I was going doing all the stuff, and I wasn't, I wasn't getting it. Um, I had to go through an outside um, means to help with a work issue, and that all I knew were the tools in the program, and I was excessively overworking. I used the tools in the program to help me with my work issues and using the steps on my work stuff, and my food, um, my food got much more balanced. And what, um, in, in terms of focusing on keeping the balance, is that one, with the work stuff, I had to get that under, under control, and that was through the steps. And what I learned was that I wanted your meal plan. I wanted, if I, if, if I weighed and measured, if I didn't eat sugar or flour or all this other stuff, then I'd be okay. And how I got my current absence is that, and this is only my experience, but I had to not have a meal plan. I had to let go of the control that I'm completely powerless over food and I don't have a meal plan. And my abstinence is just not throwing up. And I had to start off with it being all, all messy. But the reality is that I want to be abstinent, but I want the serenity that comes along with it. It's not just to be abstinent and say, oh, I've got abstinence, but I'm, I'm nuts. Is that I had to do the um, experiment, I guess, with, with what works for me and what doesn't. And that is a continuous experiment. And the road gets narrower and some, things, some, weeks are, some days are better than others, but overall my life is much better. And it was the 
surrendering, if anything, was first started up with re- surrendering my meal plans. I tried that way before OA, and when I came in and I heard all the people had these meal plans, I'm like, perfect, now you have to do it. And I, I just don't trust myself around food. And when I gave up that meal plan and trusted, okay, God, I can't do this, help me out, my, um, I, got, I was able to maintain my current abstinence without gaining a pound and without having, without having to over-exercise anything. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I have to, I have to use that um, template as a paradigm, I mean, as a, an example for so many other things. Because I'll fight, I'll wrestle with it, I'll try to do whatever, and I'm like, oh, I have to surrender. And I wish I would just surrender right from the beginning, but this has not been my experience. But I can use my, um, my eating history as an example that I thought I could never get a day the minute I let go of saying, I can't control my food, God, please help me, that my food is, is clean. And overall, yeah, I could always be better. That's a perfectionist piece of it. But it's fine. It's fine. And that fear, I mean, I had lost, lost so long that fear I'm going to get heavy too, and that fear is going away. So it's working through that stuff. What I'd like to do now is just talk more about the, I guess, the topic of keeping the balance. And even in program here, though, it's still at all or nothing. I, I don't understand the great piece of stuff. And so what I'm doing in terms of keeping that balance is practicing, that I have to experiment and, and learn what that great piece is. And so if I use it in the model of practicing, it becomes much easier. I'm practicing to become a speaker. I don't have to be up here and be a speaker. I'm practicing. I'm practicing dating. I don't have to know what, what I'm doing. I'm practicing working, and it becomes easier. And so with that practicing model, it, it just took the pressure off that I can be, um, I can make mistakes and it's not a big deal. And what I learned is that by making mistakes, you become much more human and, and endearing. I relate to people so much better by not putting up that act. And so with all this in mind, in terms of just practicing or trying to find that gray area, my life is so much more rich. I thought that if I just had everything put together, then you'd like me. If I had the perfect job, the perfect look, the this or that, then I'd be okay. And it's all my own judgment on myself is that I'm just not enough. And by of front saying, I'm not enough, love me or leave me type of stuff, and people don't go away. And that was my own judgment. And what happens is that by practicing this being Pam or practicing learning what, my, what, work, what foods work for me and what foods don't, by practicing all this stuff, I get to live in the moment and be present and have a very, very rich life. And the rewards in itself feed on itself. I shouldn't part use that word, but it's just a matter of um, the more I get recovery, the more I want to work the steps. And I had to start working the steps before I got abstinence. I know that sometimes it says get abstinent first and then start working the steps. I just couldn't get it. And when I started working the steps, my life is, is, um, is just falling where it's supposed to be. Not where I want it to be, but where it's supposed to be. And I'm just a huge believer in the steps, and I only say that because I resisted forever. I hated the steps. It was a 12-step program. The idea that I had to work, it reminds me of school. Oh. And, um, and telling, someone tell me what to do and all this stuff, and that's my own judgment on it. Again, it's suggested. These are suggested tools, suggested steps. The only requirement is to stop desire to stop compulsive overeating. I wanted to stop. I never wanted, I never thought that I found the, the cure. Some people say, oh, they found bulimia and they, they were able to eat as much as they want and, and stay thin. I knew it was just wrong. It was so wrong for me in my head and I just was powerless over it. So, I just totally off my train of thought. Um, oh, we're working the steps and when I started working and my meal got better and my absence was, was growing, I was stringing days along, the more I wanted to work the steps. 
and my four steps sat next to me for a year and a half, I think. And then I just had to do baby steps to do a step. I had to do baby, baby steps to get step one, baby, baby steps to get step two. And by just chipping away, I'm now on eight and nine, and it's, that's almost coming up to, that's almost coming um, to an end to there, meaning I have to start making my amends soon. And I'm okay with it because I know that whatever I do, it doesn't have to be done in your time. It's in God's time. And everyone's my time. And so I, I'm building that faith as well that the steps will work for me as well and that I'll be okay. And it's only through the the working the steps on building the faith because I have zero faith it's not going to happen to me I'm going to get big I'm going to I don't trust myself around food this whole faith thing and I heard that you know you have to have the action to create the faith but I, I was so immobilized by um, just not wanting to do anything I'm such a fighter that I didn't trust myself of even doing the steps or doing the actions and so I have to pray for the willingness to be willing and every morning I said please help me do your will because I don't trust myself I say okay I'm going to do your will my commitment's they don't go nowhere. I used to commit my food every day. It doesn't, doesn't go anywhere. It just gets me in trouble. And so as I'm working through the steps, I've, because I, I have hit a bottom in programs without doing the steps, and as working through the steps, I, I get the recovery, I just believe that the more and more I work the steps, and as much as I put into them, my life will fall in place where it's supposed to. And I finished my four-step inventory. It was over 200 pages or something, and it was obnoxiously long. And I was able to read it to somebody. And I thought I'd never be able to read that stuff. And I'll never be able to do this. And um, and working on steps six and seven now, I was thought, this is the fluffy, these are the fluffy steps. And it ends up, this is the most important step. And each one gets more and more important because my recovery gets that much stronger. And dealing with six and seven, in terms of, it was, um, so much of it was being Pam. And so that's where the, of my character defects, wanting approval, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. It was just be Pam or just love you for yourself or whatever it was. And so that was where the balance was. I didn't have to overperform. I had to overplan, overexercise, all the stuff that just made me so imbalanced. I either didn't do anything or I did it all. And there was no, there was no life in between. And as I worked through my, my six and seven and, you, and I cite my character defects and say, all right, God, take these fears away because fears are the biggest ones. So, oh, my God, I, I'm fear of that. I'm not, not going to find a long-term boyfriend, that they're going to get disinterested, that, that I'm not going to be a good employee, that I'm not a good daughter, I'm not blah, blah, blah. And I have to just say, please take these away. And the reality is that in, in these character defects, the things that made me eat in the first place. So I came in the program just to stop, stop vomiting and to get the boyfriend. I've stopped vomiting, and at least for today, and I haven't had that boyfriend, but my relationships are so much better. I'm, I'm turning to a more available men. I'm, I'm being myself than rather than what they should be. But that, that two things out of my, my life is so much more rich, and it's beyond what I even expected. And the, okay, that uh, this, is what, this is all I wanted. And when I started working the steps, so, so many things came and have made my life so beautiful that I, would, that I would never expect, and it still does. And so in that, I'm like, wow, this is happening, this is happening, I'll work just eight and nine, and then we'll see. And they say that you're, you'll be what, amazed before you're halfway through, and I'm not even there yet. So it's almost like I had to just do it until I get, got the faith. And then now that I have faith, the momentum's going. And I can't say that I'm going to, oh, I'm, I'm now going to be the recovering bulimic, I'm going to be um, fascinated forever. I hope I do. All I can do is I know I have choices. Um, I, I can't control my food. I can't say I'm only going to have this. Because the minute that I say I'm not going to have this, I want it. 
I, I, I just want it. If it's not today, I want it tomorrow. I surrender my food every day to God and say, please help me be abstinent today. Let me do your will. And then I'll do the rest of whatever the program says. And that's practicing moderation because it's moderation. The steps in itself provide moderation it's, and the tools. It's going to meetings. It's, it's working the steps. It's calling your sponsor, but also having a life outside of, of program. And that was important to me that I can – I wanted to come to program to have a better life. And that it's not – it's a huge part of my life, but it's not my life. But it's made my life is a small investment for a much, much richer life with my normies out there. And with that in mind, um, I'm still practicing finding what moderation is because I, I don't know. Just like I don't know, um, like, how big I am or if I'm doing a good job or all that stuff, my sense of perception is off. I don't know what moderation is. And for me, it's, it's been practicing and being able to make mistakes and be okay with it. Um, with that in mind, I just want to say that I, in my inventory, I had written down what I want, and someone told me to write, put that in the present like it's your promises. So I had my promises out of my inventory, and one of those pieces were to make mistakes and be okay with it, to, to be present and in the moment and be Pam and be loved unconditionally. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to work towards because it's something that it was so restricting for so long that I want to be me and still be loved. And it started with these rooms, and it gave me the confidence that I can go out and tell family and friends that I'm this. But it's not, it's not who I am. It's a piece of me, but I'm not much more. And with that in mind, it's still, still learning what is moderation because I don't know. But through, the, through being honest and working with chefs and working with a sponsor, I have to say if this is bugging me, this is not, and be truly honest, and then we find out where that balance is. And it's, it's really nice to find out what is, what is in between, what is okay and what is not okay, whether it's with work or with relationships or with food. I'm learning, like, okay, I can have this, but I can't have this, or this doesn't work for me, or with, with boys, all this other stuff. So, in essence, the keeping the balance is really just a lifelong process, and it's um, something that I, I work on every day. And I hope to continue because it really makes my life that much more rich. Thank you. All right, can we keep the basket going around in case some questions come up while uh, the speakers are speaking? Our second speaker is Kathy from Palm Springs. We'll speak for 25 minutes. So I'm not going to Good. Thank you. Okay, I'm Kathy, compulsive overeater, binge vomiter. Um, when I offered, when I asked the program chair for the convention if she, if I said I would like to um, be a speaker for this particular uh, workshop, and that was fine. I didn't hear from her right away, and when I did, she said, you know, great. And then she said, we got another person. There's going to be two for each one. And she said, she's just gorgeous. She's, she said, you're going to really like her. And she's, um, you know, beautiful and um, tall and slender and blonde. <laughs> and I said, that's really great. <laughs> and I started feeling shorter and grayer. And But I, I just said, um, it's, I've been in program enough and long enough that it turns out okay, and whatever it is going to be, it's going to be, and it's going to be okay. And it was wonderful, and thank you. It was so wonderful. I got choked up lots of times when you were speaking, Pam. 
Um, um, I've been in program, let's see, when I first came to program, it was 1965, I was 17, and I had already been throwing up for three years. I was 15, 14, turning 15, the first time that I consciously remember eating too much of my own birthday cake and running into the bathroom at my friend's house and throwing it all up. But before that, my dad had said when I was a little kid, you know, if you have a tummy ache, stick your finger down your throat, you'll feel better. So as a little kid, I think a few times I actually used that particular thing to feel better. But um, once I started, once I, once I actually got this idea that having that food that I was addicted to, and I was a, a food addict from the time I was a very small child, but once I found out that I could then get rid of it, um, I became as addicted to the vomiting as I was to the food itself and it was a cycle that it was just frightening I was uh, I spent more hours in a bathroom than I spent knowing my friends being with my friends and of um, all my of my my vomiting years it was just it was for me a horror um, there was no word there was no bulimia I went to more than one doctor I um, one time I actually told the physician what I was using to gag myself because I had thrown up so much I couldn't use my finger anymore. And um, I, said, I said a very, very naughty word when I, I said the, the something uh, toothbrush. And the only thing the doctor could say to me was, do you have any other problems besides using bad language? And I left the, I, was, I blushed 62 shades of purple, left feeling embarrassed, never went to that doctor again. Um, and it was, I just felt I had no place to go. I had told my mom when I was about 16 that every time the food was missing in the refrigerator, it was always me. I said it was me, and I throw it all up again. And she never mentioned it again because she didn't know, she didn't know anything about it. She didn't know what to say. She didn't know what to do. Um, I went into psychotherapy. I was on a psychiatrist's couch for many, many, many years, and he didn't know what to do either. So um, the fact that, you know, one of the things that he said was, I eat more than you do. How come, you know, how come you throw it up? Well, because if you think you're supposed to eat a certain amount of food or you think you're going to be perfect and you're just going to eat this and you eat one curd of cottage cheese beyond, that's it. I'm a failure. And so I might as, you know, I can hear it, my, I can hear it right now. I might as well go the whole route. Um, I don't know how I made it through college. I did. I made it through. I became a teacher. Um, but I just had no place to go. I, I vomited for 23 years. In 1980, I came back to OA. I went, I went to OA as a teenager, and um, I could talk about the binging. I could not say that I threw it back up again. Nobody else said it. So I just went out there and kept going. Um, but in 1980, I came to a meeting at the Darby office in Reseda, and I listened. Um, there was a curly-haired lady who was the leader who I still hear about today, and there were about 60 or 70 women in the room. It was a Tuesday morning, and I listened to the meeting, and I was sitting next to a girl, a young, young teenager at the time, and I said, I throw up. Can I say that here? And she just said, you can say anything you need to say. Well, there were only 300 meetings in the L.A. area, but I didn't know that, so I just waited a whole week and went to that same meeting the following week on Darby. 
and I raised my hand. I kept raising it so I'd have a turn. And in a three-minute pitch, shaking like a leaf, scared out of my mind, I was married for the third time. I was um, slender at the time, although I had been at least 25 to 30 pounds overweight for most of my adult life and, and teenage life. I said, I, I, I eat all the time, I stuff myself, I, and I throw it up. And across the room, there was a, an overweight woman named Beverly, and I saw a tear going down her cheek. And after, the, I just thought, oh, my God, there's another soul in this room who does this. I knew by the tear that, and she came over to me afterwards, and she said, I throw up, too. Well, I couldn't believe it. I thought, my God. I, I, it wasn't so, it, I, I want to say that it was ego, that I thought that nobody since the Romans, the vomitoriums, had ever, anybody ever thought of this ingenious thing except me. But the, sh- it, the shame of it was, made it a horror. And I didn't know what it meant, we are as sick as we are secretive. I thought that when you did some really icky thing that you were supposed to be ashamed, that you weren't supposed to do that. I had no freaking clue that that's what made me human. So in the program, um, I started finding out that I was just like everybody else. And a friend, I did get a sponsor. As it turned out, she was also bulimic, but she had never in... 15 years in program over ever admitted it or said it out loud so here I was beginning to say this and she finally quietly said it one time in her in a meeting and um, it was the beginning for me of life it was the beginning of me finding out there was a person that I could get to know that was somebody I could enjoy knowing, and it was me. I used to have the feeling, when I was getting divorced the first time, I had the sense that when I was driving home from work and there was nobody at the apartment, that that meant nobody was home. When I got there, I still had the sense that there was nobody home. So I I used to say, but if somebody else knocked on the door, I'd be answering. But I never had the sense that that meant there was someone home. In OA... Um, with this sponsor, I got, I got told, work the steps. And I thought that was nuts because I thought that I knew everything. I don't know. Somehow I thought that I just would eat the food and it would go away. Somehow I wouldn't have this problem. And my sponsor said, you're, gonna, you're going to do the steps. You're going to start with step one. You're going to write on every paragraph. So I wrote on every paragraph, and I continued to eat and vomit. Um, when I did that, I, I was supposed to call her every day and tell the truth. And I couldn't do that. I couldn't tell the truth. I couldn't quite tell the truth. Um, but she stuck with me, and she really cared about me. And I began to think there was something here for me until it got to the quote-unquote God thing. And I didn't understand when I, when I would call her up and say, this is what's going on in my life. I'm now married for the third time, and my parents owe me, blah, blah, blah. And she would say, God takes care of your needs, not your dad. God takes care of your needs. Your father doesn't take care of your needs. Your husband doesn't take care of your needs. And I can remember holding the receiver 
and looking at the receiver like she was a lunatic. I had no idea what that meant. But I just kept talking to her, reading the big book, reading the 12 and 12, writing on every paragraph, and I did not get abstinent. I went to the Sunday morning meeting in Reseda for four straight years every Sunday morning, and I spewed venom. I had ugly things to say, and I said them. They, were, they weren't about other people. They were about, they were about my feelings. But I was a person who ate because of what was eating me. And everything ate me up. Everything made me feel lonely, sad, angry, resentful, jealous, greedy. And so every time I had one of these feelings, I was filling it up, filling up and stuffing down the feeling with enormous amounts of food. Are you doing a five minute thing? Oh, no. Okay. Um, I didn't have any balance. It was, it was perfect or horrible. It was one or the other. Um, I just did not know where to turn. And in, in the meetings in the San Fernando Valley and in L.A. in 1980, nobody else was saying that they vomited. They were, I mean, it might have been in other meetings that I wasn't in, but I didn't hear, in it, hear it. So I would say, hi, I'm Kathy, compulsive overeater. The people would say, hi, Kathy. And then I would say, and vomiter. But then there was this dead silence in this big room, and I was like, oh, God, this is awful. Somehow I got this idea of saying, hi, I'm Kathy. I'm a vomiter and compulsive overeater. And then the room said, hi, Kathy, and it had already, it was out. I, the, the ugly, horrible secret was now out, and I could just do my pitch. So that, for me, was a gigantic miracle because I could say it, and I, you know, Lightning didn't strike me. Nobody else, nobody, nobody fell over in, in this awful, you know, pile of uh, disgust, which I thought they were going to do. And I just began to be one of the group. I was just another compulsive overeater. It's just another little way about it. Um, after, I'm going to say, about five years, I think, of working the steps, and I mean being told what to do and doing it even though I couldn't abstain. If I was, when I went to Europe, I called my sponsor and I was on the phone and it cost me 40 bucks, but I needed to make that call. When I was in Hawaii one time, um, my ex-husband was going crazy at me. We had his two stepkids with us. There was screaming, raging, mania happening. And I picked up the phone and I called New Jersey where my sponsor had moved and I said, I said, oh, my God, this is what he's mad about, and this is what's happening, and, and we're all trapped in this hotel room. And, and I said, I went to buy some, some um, bread stuff for the family in, inside the hotel room, and I said, and he's going crazy that I'm going to eat it. And she said, have you eaten it? And I said, no. She said, are you going to eat it? And I said, I'm not planning to. She said, are you working your program? I said, yeah. She said, are you working your steps? Yeah. You've made a phone call. Are you telling the truth? Yeah. Are you writing? Yeah. That's all there was. She said, Kathy, if you end up eating, maybe that is God's way of protecting you from a heart attack because you are working your program. And I thought, okay, it was one more time of not knowing. I don't know. I can't run the world. I don't know everything that's going on in the world. And at that point, I was feeling my feelings, sharing them truthfully with someone I dearly cared about, 
I was not being hateful to my husband or his um, grown, grown two kids. Maybe I was getting better. I don't know. All I know is two months later, I couldn't remember my last vomiting binge. And to this day, I do not know when I last binged and vomited. I do know that on February 20th, 1985, I was ready to have my first kid. I was about nine months pregnant. And I was going to a doctor's appointment, and I got off the elevator, and I thought, oh, my God, I can't remember my last binge. And at that point, I said, God, does that mean I might be abstaining? And that is when my absence began. Um, so it's been, it's, come, it's 18 and a half years. My son is just about ready to go to college. And um, I cannot express what kind of a miracle that feels like. I thought that when Moon Unit Zappa said, gag me with a spoon, that there was nobody else who really knew that that's what she was doing. <laughs> Um, I knew. I knew that's what she was doing. And um, here I was in 1985, pregnant with a first kid that I really wanted after a third marriage. Uh, I was 37 years old. I had vomited and binged for over 20, almost 24 years, I think. And I didn't remember when it had begun to stop. And the reason I'm saying it that way is because a lot of we, we mark our abstinence from the day of our last whatever we did wrong. And for me, it has been very, um, I don't have a word for it, but it's been just the most wonderful feeling that I don't know when I started recovering. I don't know when I started being, being more well from the inside, but I know that it was happening. And I, I cannot say strongly enough that the answers are in these rooms. The answers are in these people who are here who listen to the stupid things I have to say and the, um, you know, the, the nasty things that I have to get off my chest sometimes. And I, some of them, I've been in program quite a long time now, and I have a sister who's just started program in a different program from about two or three years, and she says to me, you've been in OA for years. How come you're still always mad? How come you're still always jealous of people? You know, I still get just jealous because my ex-husband has all this money and I don't have as much. I said, I said, I'm not, I'm not done being human, but today I feel it and I, I don't run from it and I, I, it's not pretty. I, I am angry lots of times. I am jealous. I am envious. Um, I try to wake up in the middle of it and say, okay, here I am one more time being angry. Be, I, you know, name it, claim it, and give it away. It's me. It is me. I am a person that suffers from anger, fear, resentment. And the difference for me today, and maybe this, I, I, you know, I, I was thinking, I almost finished my thought, um, maybe this is the balance for me, that today I don't want to run away from how it feels. I don't want to miss out, even on the bad stuff. Because if I stick it out long enough, there's usually at the end of this sense of trauma or the sense of being pissed off, being resentful, being whatever, that if I acknowledge it, if I share it with another person, on the other side of it is maybe something I wasn't looking at that I want to look at. Maybe something that I can do differently that, that will make me feel better about me and about everything in, in life. So I, I feel that... Um, what I did for the first 
X number 40 years of my life was to run from every single feeling. If it was, even if it was a joyful feeling, I used to say, I run from the stuff that feels good. I can feel like, wow, this is really cool. What am I going to do? Stuff myself. And I don't know if that comes from thinking I'm, you know, worse than other people or whatever. I don't know. But I'm seeing a few nodding heads and I'm thinking, thank God, because it means that other people feel a little bit of the same feeling that I feel that is, um, I'm, I'm doing something wrong if I'm not calm and quiet and, you know, my hands aren't folded. I talk too much. I, I push myself on people too much. I, I have lots of human failings and I don't like them. But I do have friends today who say, hey, that's what you're doing again. You know, I love you anyway, but stop doing it. Okay, I can, you know, I'm still recovering. I, I want to find the balance and I don't, I don't, I can't do that by myself. I can't find the balance by myself. Um, I'm thinking of a feeling that has, that I've been suffering with for a couple of years and it has to do with my oldest child who is now getting ready to leave for college and he's, um, I waited a long time to have my first child. I was 37 when he finally came along, and my second child is one year younger, so I do everything, boom, boom, and then I'm done doing it. Um, about two or three years ago, I began to be aware that this child was getting ready to leave the home. And after having, after wanting children for as long as I did, it ate. Oh, my. I've heard other mothers. I mean, all, all my years growing up, I've heard people, you know, pe- people and parents talk about what it felt like to have their kids going off to college. And I poo-pooed that. I have, you know, I poo-poo everything that I don't understand. I, I, I ridicule before I learn anything about it. And I began to have the sense of, oh, my God, how did this happen? It's really coming. Well, I do better if I have some time going into something. If I, rather than, what, which is what I did as a kid and what I did um, all of my life was just to act as if I'm just going to go there the first minute and somehow it's all going to just open up and I'm going to understand it. Well, that isn't me. I have to practice, kind of like what you were saying, I think. I have to practice what it feels like to lose my child, to have my child be going off into the world on his own. And I'm not too thrilled about it, but... Three years ago, I think, I began to have the sense of loss, the sense of grief. And I began to write and, and talk to people and say, you know what, I'm beginning to feel the grief that's coming. Even though it isn't here yet, it's a sense for me of practicing what it feels like. Because I don't feel, I don't do feelings very well. And now it is happening. He's leaving in a month. And um, my sister said to me a few days ago, how are you feeling about it? Are you, getting, are you feeling really sad that it's happening? And I said, I think I will feel sad some more, but I've been feeling sad. I've been feeling the sense of loss. And for me, that is a wonderful thing, thank you, um, to have a chance to practice so that when it comes, it's not hitting me for the very first time, or even if it hits me like, like a real hard grief, it's still something I'm not acting as if isn't happening. I'm acting as if it is happening. Yesterday I, w- I had volunteered, I was going to volunteer at registration for our convention, and I was on at, was on at 2 o'clock, and my, everything makes me nervous, so I'm thinking, 
oh, my God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to fill the forms out. And my glasses are different, and I'm not reading forms very well. And so I showed up there about 12 o'clock, and I thought, they'll show me how to do this. Well, I sat down, and they did show me how to do it, and I screwed it up about four times. And pretty soon, I got the hang of it. And I thought, I'm learning how to do this so that when it's 2 o'clock, I'll be able to. And I never did leave. I just stayed there from, you know, till 2 o'clock and when it was my turn. But that is, um, that has worked for me. It's, it's not taking control, but it's having a sense of not pretending that life is not going on. It's actually going on right in the minute, and I want to be a part of it. I don't, I don't want to miss out. So, um... I think really what I want to say is that the balance for me was to not worry about whether I could get abstinent, but just to find a sponsor that had what I wanted and to listen and to try and to do what I was told. There have been times in program when I have had to weigh and measure every crumb. I've had to use gray sheet. Uh, I was addicted to buttermilk. I was addicted to cottage cheese, but I was at, literally addicted to buttermilk. I had to call in a sponsor, tell her my food every day, and one day I said, two eggs and uh, half a cantaloupe and an eight-ounce glass of buttermilk, and within a few hours I was binging, and I had to call her. It was a different sponsor, and tell her I'm binging and I'm in trouble, and she said to me, did you do anything different with your breakfast this morning? I said, yeah, the buttermilk, and she said, Maybe you'd like to try not having that tomorrow morning. Well, I was, I, I, I was embarrassing to be addicted. People go, ah, you know, how could you be addicted to buttermilk? Well, it, it was a soothing food for me, so everything became a problem. And I continued to come to this program. I continue to go today to meetings and share honestly. And oh, I'm so glad I'm finished. <laughs> Thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you, Kathy. Okay. We will now have quest have questions from the Ask It Basket. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I'll get it from you. I feel so alone. How can I feel more connected to others if there are so few bulimics in my OA group? I do not have a sponsor yet. Eaters who, who don't vomit versus someone who does or who starves themselves. There are subtle differences. And if I just went to meetings that were just bulimic meetings, I, I would limit myself so much of my recovery. And so just focusing on what do we have in common and what can I get out of them versus what I'm not getting out of the meetings is I get so much more back. And so the reality is that we have a screwed up relationship with food across the whole spectrum. And it's focusing on the similarities and the solution is really where the recovery is at. The steps work across the entire spectrum, anorexia, polemics, and compulsive overeaters. And it's really 
putting in, um, you get what you put in. And so a lot of times I'm, I, I'm the same way. If you come talk to me, don't, I'm not going to go out and talk to you type of stuff. But when I reach out and stop isolating, the recovery comes with it and the fellowship and all that stuff. And so I guess it's coming down to the bottom line is just to really focus on the similarities and to reach out and the recovery comes along. What does your family do to help you? Um, The husband that I was married to when I was having the kids (laughs) was my third husband and um, I had never told anybody before that time about what was going on other than that one conversation with my mother and a physician. Um, But I wanted to get married to this person and I wanted to be honest and tell the truth. So I said, I don't want, he wanted me to move in with him and I said, I don't want to because I throw up after every meal and even in between and whatever. And he said, give up your apartment and move in with me and rent a toilet. It's cheaper. And I felt so cared about because I felt he made it to be something that was no big deal. Um, That was a real gift. The marriage wasn't such a great gift, but that was a wonderful gift. Um, And as I became more honest, I, of course, have shared with other people in my family, um, even my own child who is going to college ha- began to be a little bit of a compulsive overeater at about the age of 9 or 10, and he came with me to an OA retreat and shared openly. And so um, I think that he's, begun, he's found some recovery. It didn't, be, it didn't be, um, become something that really evolved for him, the, the compulsive overeating, but it was a problem at that time. And so getting feedback and seeing him using tools, he said on the phone the other day, he was going to make a phone call that he didn't want to do, and he said, Mom, I just said, please, God, give me the words. And I said, well, you know, that was really great. So I get back something that maybe I have put out, and it's, it's really a great gift. Is it common to practice bulimia as a reaction to feeling guilty about overeating? For me, absolutely. I um the minute that I felt that this is going to cause me to gain weight or this is abnormal, I would, the guilt associated with it, oh, my gosh, I've eaten so much, what am I going to do with it? It was a release of, whew, and then I didn't have to think about it. The reality is that it, it was such a huge, for me, I had to eat huge volumes. I couldn't eat this much to throw it up. I had to eat huge volumes to be able to throw up. And by by. The minute that I felt like I was eating too much, the guilt, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, here I go again. I swore this off. It just um, enhanced the, the wanting to eat more and more and more. Screw it. I'm going to do this. And eat, 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 throw up, feel guilty, the hangover the next morning, and it just fed itself. It's a circular type of thing. And the shame associated with it made me want to eat because I didn't want to think about it. And then I ate and I vomit and then I feel guilty. And then I would eat because I didn't want to feel guilty. And it's just a circular. And so... Guilt is huge. I, I feel guilty sometimes over the smallest amount, and that's where my reality is not, my perception is not reality. And that's the need of, of reaching out and saying, this is what I had, this is bad. And, or I would even say to my normie friends who now know, oh, my God, I'm obsessing because I ate this and this and this. I know it's not bad, but I'm obsessing. And you get it out, and then it was fine. And that, to me, the releasing and, and expressing my feelings, that the guilt doesn't necessarily go away, but it's how do, you, how do I handle it? My... 
I've heard that you get judged on your actions, not your thoughts. I get the thoughts all the time, but I do just things differently today. I have an anorexic mentality. I don't purge. I just don't eat much when I don't eat much. When will I ever look in the mirror and see the real me? I always feel I look too fat or too thin. Me too. <laughs> after after all this time, I still can't judge my body image and um I want to say something about God. For me, I I think that I should be in control of everything, and really that isn't how it is. The way I look is not the way I look. The way I look is just only a little thing that I see, and um, I, I so much recommend finding someone that you feel comfortable with and sh- finding someone that you can share. That This works for me, to find someone that I can share my feeling my body image, if I want to say, I look so fat to myself right now, if I say that to another person, to a person usually in program that, you know, can say to me, okay, that's how you see it right at the moment, and that's not the reality. That's not what is. Um, the answers are here, and um, just keep doing them. Don't give up. Keep coming and keep talking and keep being with, being with people that you feel um, take good care of you. I wanted to just respond really fast to the person who wanted to know about where there aren't very many bulimics or anorexics in their meeting. There is still enormous shame about having this part of the disease. So it may very well be there are a lot more people than you know that are actually at the meeting. They just might not be sharing. Um, in that first very fast three-minute pitch that I did in um, 1980, I had to share that I was a bedwetter. I wanted to get that out. It was something that had stopped by then, I think, but it was a horrible shame. It was something you don't talk about. And I had two people come up to me who said, oh, my God, I've never heard anybody say that. They were there. It's just not something that we talk about, those embarrassing things. I just wanted to say it as something that had been a part of my life, and it was very difficult to share. So it, it makes you connected to people to share what doesn't feel okay, to find a safe place to do it. Thank you. Okay, this question is for Pam. Is your sponsor bulimic? How important is this? No, my sponsor is not bulimic as far as I know. Um, And my very first sponsor was, and that was very important because I I was in program for about four years, and I didn't have a sponsor. And I, I share, I'm really scared to ask someone to be my sponsor, and she came up to me and said, I'll, I'll sponsor you. And that's not the way that the program teaches us. Some way to, you need to ask for help. It's a part of our recovery. But it just was not my experience. And the feeling that I could, um, the daily talks that someone could relate. And that was when just as a, having a new sponsor, I didn't know what, what to expect. And I, there wasn't, I couldn't hear people telling my story, but she knew my story. And so she reached out to me, and it was really important. Since then, I've had two wonderful sponsors, and it's not as important anymore because I'm able to focus on um, the similarities and the steps and the tools, and their recovery is more important and and their suggestions than them to understand. I no longer have to have people understand. And not that I, that's why I felt like I never wanted to share it. I felt like I had to explain why, 
It's just what it is. And it might not be their experience that they go and throw up, but the feelings that the feelings of avoiding, the anxiety, all the other stuff is stuff that maybe they ate over. I ate over and just purged. How do I find a recovering bulimic sponsor? I live in a small town without a group that has bulimics. Um, that's a really good question. If, um, I, I think that I want to say, I'm trying to think of what I would do if I were in that situation. I think if I could, I would open up at a, a meeting. I might say that I am bulimic and I'm looking for a, bulim a bulimic sponsor. Um, it's it's hard, and my, my guess is that if you if the person feels comfortable enough saying it out loud if, at meetings, if you feel that if the anonymity is very well protected and you feel okay about doing that, that if you keep doing it, you're going to find a bulimic sponsor because it is not that uncommon. It's it's everywhere, um, but it, I, it may very well be that it would work to have a person that has something a part of their program that you really feel is what you want to have and use them until you find a bulimic sponsor. Um, my sponsor was not, I didn't know she was bulimic for over a year when, in, the, in the first time, um, my first sponsor. I had no idea she was bulimic, so I had to just ask someone that I really, whose program I really respected and it worked so well. It turned out she had been bulimic, but... Um, I'm not sure that it'll be that important, but I know the I know the feeling of wanting somebody who really understands. It may be that you have to go on online. Maybe there'll be somebody online at OA at the um, maybe there's an online meeting or just keep trying, keep 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 sharing, and it'll probably work out. I've had a lot of recovery in OA, and I feel great about it. I've been in OA for a year and a half, and I have a good abstinence, but there are times when I just really enjoy overeating and purging, and I don't want to call my sponsor. I just go ahead and do it, and I'm happy after. I know someday I, I won't need that, but for now I do, and I think it's okay. What do you think? Oh, These are good questions. Uh, I mean, I, I guess my first response is, that um, is to not care what I think, that we all always want approval by someone else, like, is this okay, is this okay, is this okay, and this is really your, your program, and it's not, it's not to be judged of, a, are you a good OA, are you miss OA, are you how many, I get caught up in that number stuff and all that stuff of wanting to be the best or whatever it is, to be able to share it, I'm not, I'm not worthy, whatever it is, and it's bringing us back to being humble and saying this is this is your program and you get what you put into it and if it works for you then that's something you can discuss with your sponsor what have you for me it was um, there was a point when it was okay and it's a progressive disease and um, the thought that that I could control it was an illusion because when I tried to stop it wasn't there is a rush after growing up I didn't believe that at the beginning until I had to stop, that there is a true, if you just go, 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 you throw up, and then you just go, like, okay, I'm done. I'm done, and it's just a relief. The reality is that the, um, it just, it's, 
it's a temporary moment of relief is this costly and it's how much how much does that cost you? Is it the guilt? Is the um, the hangovers after the the feeling of um, the, the cost of life not being in the moment, all that stuff. So, you know, I can't say yes or no, like it's a bad thing or anything else like that. I just would look at the what is it costing you, and, and is it worth is it worth something that you want to talk to your sponsor about and being open and honest, and that there is no judgment. This is your recovery, this is your program, and you you get what you put into it, and it's our own judgment on the stuff that we don't want to share, want approval and stuff like that. But the recovery is, is really yours, and it's not it's not anyone else's to own or have judgment on. In the beginning, what did you fill the hole that was left over after the eating, binging, vomiting? What is big enough during the stress time? that kept you from eating when you really wanted to? That's a great question. Um, I remember, God, I don't think I have thought about this in maybe 20 years. No, it wouldn't be 20. That's all, that's all right because I haven't been at it that long. I remember my ex-husband saying to me when I was beginning to stop throwing up that I, he said I was... Um, I can't remember the expression, but that I was talking him to death. I was filling in so much of those that time with this intensity and this verbiage, and I, I still remember that that feeling of what what do you do with all that time, the hours? And I when I when I would purge, I would be ravenously hungry when I was finished. So it, that provoked the whole thing all over again. So that's what, it was just a cycle of every day. Um, working with a sponsor was a big help. Um, starting, being, giving in a, give, being given a writing assignment, right on every step, you know, step one, right on every step one, step two, and then calling back and reading everything I had written and beginning to work on an inventory. And, and what also happened was life began to happen. I began to be involved with things that I hadn't had time to, to be involved with before. Um, for me, that was part of what, what, what happened. But, yes, there is a sense of, so what do I do now? There's three hours before I have to go someplace. You know, I used to fill that time with two or three binges. Um, I don't know. You might have something you want to add to that. Do you want to? The best I could do sometimes is just go to bed. It was, you know, I couldn't talk myself out of it. I couldn't, just the idea of I'm going to get a hobby, I'm going to go do this or whatever, this was a, a habit or a thing that I was addicted to for so long that sometimes the best I could do is like turn on the TV, zone out, and like just try to check out some other means. The more and more I got recovered, the more and more I filled those moments with activities that brought that still give me a rush. I'm an addict. I'm still looking for a fix somewhere, and I have to just find that fix in a different in a different means. And what is that type of stuff? And I, I still am trying to find that. I'm just an addict. I know I am. I like the rush. Things that bore me, bore me. And But the reality is the bottom line abstinence is just not throwing up. And so sometimes the best I could do is just go to bed. What are your thoughts on bulimic-focused meetings? I often get hotline calls from people that want to go to these kinds of meetings feeling that general OA is not appropriate for them. Thanks to you both. Um, when I first 
came into the program in 1980, um, I was so excited that there was beginning to be a word and that people began, there were other people around, a few who started admitting this. And I tried to start some meetings for bulimia and anorexia. And I had a, had a short period of time when I was anorexic, and I thought I had really made it. I thought that was the successful way to be. Um, and I, we would start a meeting. We'd have a meeting place, and there'd be 10 or 15 mostly young women. And then they'd come to a meeting. They'd come to, uh, no, a few times, and boom, the meeting would dissipate. Nothing would happen. Um, we started another meeting. I think there were at least three different times that we we tried. And one time we had about 25 people coming a few times. It was so hard to stop doing it because, you know, the expression, you can have your cake and eat it too, it was something people couldn't give up. I couldn't give it up either. And by that time I had been practicing for so long, I wanted to stop. Um, it's a terrific thing to try to start a meeting. Um Put it out. You know, the OA, OA intergroups will help you get a meeting started, and it's really fantastic. And if you can get some recovery, that will help the meeting keep going. But it is such a hard thing to let go of. It is that one facet of Overeaters Anonymous where you get that thing that we're addicted to and the obesity doesn't show. So, um I found that it was really hard, but there are still, there are um, bulimic anorexic leaning, there are meetings that are going on, and I don't know now if they are successfully continuing. Um, but I have, I would say try and try and try, and then if it doesn't work, just go to regular, regular meetings and try again. And, sure. Um, yeah, everybody's on tape, and you have to sign a release, so. Um, what has been the greatest stumbling block in your recovery? Want to take that? Sure. Okay. Um, probably for me is just my resistance to program, to embrace it, and just knowing that it works. It just has not been my experience that I just do the steps and and make outreach calls and call my sponsor and all the stuff that I know does work. It's only when I'm in enough pain that then I become willing. I wish I would do the steps and the tools and use the things that have been proven time and time again, but it just hasn't been my experience. It's, it's becoming more my experience that knowing that this easier, softer way doesn't work for me. But it it took a long time for me to get recovery because I, I wasn't doing the steps. And that resistance of, if I only go to a meeting or this and this and that, I'm okay. Like, I'm working it, but I'm not really working it as much as I need to work it for me. And so if I, I think that probably just that resistance to doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I hate that. I hate feeling like I have to do something and things like that. So I still have that, that tendency. It's one of my huge character defects, and the means that I get around it is just to try to embrace it. Okay, God, I'm resisting again. Please give me the willingness. And I really think it's, it's you get back what you put in. Um, I think that one of my worst, I think my, my biggest problem in my recovery was my attitude. Um, Partly being a know-it-all, feeling on the one hand like I was a know-it-all, on the other hand that I was a complete idiot. And I, I learned that 
being worse than everybody else was ego just as much as thinking I was I knew more than everybody else and my ego um, I think really was a big big place that I had to um, shut up and listen um, I lost my train of thought for a second but um, I think that for me also believing in a power greater than myself when I finally began to have a sense of that um, that was when my recovery began to be something I could begin to accept. I can remember, I literally can see myself with my hand on the refrigerator, the door was open. I don't know at this moment if I had already started binging. I probably hadn't because I probably wouldn't have taken the call. But I have this image and the phone ringing at the same time and me saying, shit, getting the damn phone, picking it up, and it was a gentleman from OA calling for, asking for help. And I was holding the phone saying, Oh, my God. That was a sense of he stopped my binge. And I, I was honest and told him. I, he, I let him talk first. And he was saying, I, I want to eat. And I, you know, and I was listening to this. And I said, you just stopped me. I was about to do the whole thing, you know, the, the binge and then the face in the toilet. And that was the first time that I had the feeling that maybe there was something bigger than me operating in the world that I could hook on to to use to have this program to begin to understand what this was all about um that that was a, a big thing for me and i think it helped my my ego smashing and my attitude begin to change okay it's time to close the workshop uh please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer